0: The reading is from James 4, 1 through 12, from the New International Version. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? This is the word of the Lord. Be
1: to God. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful be gathered here together. It's a strong word that you bring, many emotions in this room, how we feel when we hear it. I pray, Spirit, that you might give us hearts to hear you. In Christ's name, amen. I was thinking this week about the uh, BBC production of Pride and Prejudice. And some of you have probably seen that, others of you hadn't. Uh, It's based off, of course, the great novel by Jane Austen. And um, there's one one of the, it seems like there's many climactic scenes, but when Mr. Darcy proposes to Elizabeth, and he does so with such uh, arrogance and conceit, that she just flat-out rejects him, and her speech back to him just levels him. And um, he, in the, this BBC version, after that, I think they may have inserted a, a scene, he goes to meet his fencing instructor, you know, fencing, this kind of fencing, where you fight with a sword. And uh, there he is, you know, in this intense battle, and it's clear that the director... Is putting before us, you know, he, is, he isn't battling primarily his fencing director, instructor rather. He's battling his desires. This is about the fight that he is struggling with inside. You know, have you ever battled a desire like that? Have you ever had a desire that you struggled with? You felt like you were at war with it. I know you have, because you're human. As I was hearing this scripture read, I thought how often you you might hear folks say, well, the Bible's not relevant. I don't have that problem. It's too relevant. (laughs) Uh, When I hear a passage like that, woo. Uh, James appropriately invokes warfare language when he enters into this world of our desires. And I think by that, the Bible is really validating. In dignifying our struggle. It's not trivializing it at all. And uh, to be clear, in the Bible, desire is not a good or bad thing. Desire is simply an aspect of who we are. It can go either way. And it's different than emotions. Emotions are how you feel about reality. But desires are engaging reality to shape something that you want. That's the difference. There's lots of different desires, right? There can be uh, desires that are wish desires, like you're sitting in traffic going, I wish my car could fly. That's probably not going to happen, <laughs> right? Or there's you know, body desires, or maybe there's compulsive desires that are hard and difficult to control. But I'll tell you, they are a big deal to us. The Proverbs rightly says, a desire fulfilled is the very tree of life, desires that go unmet make the heart sick. They're a big deal in our lives. And what I believe this passage offers to you and me is instruction and an ability to face, to face unfulfilled desires and move us into a place of fulfilled desires. But to do that, there's two things. We have to understand the battle We have to understand it before we can experience the victory of it. So let's do that together. Let's try to understand more about desires. Now, one writer that I really love about things of the heart said this. We live in a world that is at war with desire. We don't know what to do with our own, and we don't know what to do with the desire of those we're in relationship with. Often we don't even want to admit that there are those who oppose our desire, and probably even darker. We, want, we don't want to name that desire that works to thwart the very heart of humanity. Those desires that really seek to destroy what God would have us intend. And this is one of James's first insights that he brings to us. Now, we battle, we struggle, we argue, we have conflict, but I think many times we're just at a surface level. James stops us and says, are you considering that it's really your desires that are fueling this thing. Are you in touch with them? Maybe it's the desire to look right. Maybe it's the desire to achieve a goal that you believe is critical to your personal success. Maybe it's a desire to maintain control over your emotional state. I think some of my worst failures as a father with anger were really about me trying to control peace that I needed. I couldn't deal with the conflict. So instead of that, I just inserted anger and arguing because it was too upsetting to me. The Christian faith says that uh, there's this chain reaction that happens in us. Uh, When we become disconnected from God, alienated from God, something happens to us. And that is, uh, we experience a darkness of the mind and a hardness of the heart. We can no longer see our desires, and in many ways, we can't even feel them anymore. A 19th century German philosopher, uh, Schopenhauer, who um, I read all the time. Uh, (laughs) Light reading for me, actually. Um, Anyway. This is what he said. I thought it was worth repeating. Uh, We often don't know what we desire or fear. For years, we can have a desire without admitting it to ourselves or even letting it come to clear consciousness because the intellect is not to know anything about it. Why? Since the good opinion we have of ourselves would inevitably suffer. You hear what he's saying there? We don't even want to go there because if we admit it's there then in a sense it's an indictment on really where our desires are at and maybe we're not too proud of that. And so he's basically saying there's a willfulness to our blindness when it comes to desire. So here's what James begins to do and it's it's a bit painful, you know, it's like extracting a tooth. He begins to dig deeper and deeper to help us to see the root that he might offer us grace. Okay? So let's Let's just run through that in the time we have. Now, the first thing he does is he he points out two fundamental expressions. Now, this is why this is helpful. Because, you know, you can't recognize something uh, if you can't see it. And sometimes the best you can do, even if you can't see the fire, at least you can see the smoke, right? You can go, whoa, that smoke doesn't look good. Well, there's two things that smoke out of us. One is anger. Right? He talks about fighting, war, killing. He probably doesn't mean literal killing, but we use words like this. right? We call them, we, we say attack ads. Right? It's a metaphor for talking about uh, really anger in a murderous way. And this is something he already spoke to us about. In chapter 1, he said that the unrighteous anger of men, and bear in mind there is righteous anger, But the unrighteous anger of men does not produce the righteousness of God, which leads to life. And the clear sign of our desires are warring is if you find yourself regularly, easily angered. Or just blowing up, exploding. There's a desire thing going on. But another one is envy. Envy. And there's a bit of debate about this translation. I, you know, I'm not sure. If, I think we had the NIV translation. But there's two bis- different debates here. One is this. Uh, is James saying that God is jealous over us in the spirit he put in us? And if certainly God is jealous in the best way possible. He's a jealous lover for us. He's jealous for our wholeness and holiness. But the second one is this idea that the spirit in us tends toward Envy. And I think it's that second one that he's talking about here, because the context refers to that. And God is never referred to as envious. He's only referred to as sometimes jealous in a holy way. But he gets into this idea of envy working in our lives. And this has been something, if if you look at some of the uh, story-making sins in the Bible, envy is one of them. Cain, right, the first murder, comes out of envy. Jacob and Esau. I mean, basically all the patriarchs struggled with envy. Joseph's brothers, King Saul, the first king in Israel, what brings him down? Envy. Even Jesus' disciples, vying for honor. What is it? Envy. Envy's a prevalent way that our warring desires show itself. Maybe for you and I, it's, you know, maybe it's you envy the friends your friends have. Or maybe you envy the children that your friends have. Maybe you envy... The recognition your friends have in the city. The accomplishments, the gifts. Are you able to name it? That's really important. If you can't name it, how are you going to be able to beat it? Right? We've got to be able to name it. So anger and envy, the smoke we see. But then he gives us a further thing. He gets us to the fire of it. Because he says they're all roots of pride. God opposes the proud. Now, back to Mr. Darcy. You know, when Mr. Darcy is giving his first proposal and he erupts in anger and walks out, it's not because she said no. It's because she confronts him on his pride. Right? She confronts him on his conceitedness, and that's the thing he can't stand. That's the thing he can't handle. And in the scripture, we find a similar thing, right? James, this is another theme he's been developing. The pride of hypocrisy, wanting to look more religious than you really are. Or the pride of boasting, saying, you know, this is what I'm going to do in business. I'm going to conquer this, and I'm going to do that, to go. that." He said, it's shooting out all, all over the place. But do you understand... And this was, this was an insight for me when I, I read it years ago as someone, again, that has battled anger. When someone said, you know, uh, the opposite... Basically, of anger isn't so much gentleness, according to James, it's humility. Because pride is underneath. That's where James is going, right? He steers this toward humility. Because pride is the thing that we're really wrestling with. And he talks about this pride shows up in language, slander. And and really, he's following his big brother, Jesus, at this point. When you read about Jesus' words on anger, Sermon on the Mount, he says... You know, who are you to insult people? Who are you to call someone a fool? Think about how often that happens. Maybe we don't use that word. Why does that bother Jesus so much? Because, as James would mention, it's putting myself into the judge's chair, the law-giving chair, and going, I will make final determinations about who you are. And you are a fool. And he would say, you have no right to do that. You have no place to do it. So envy essentially says, you shouldn't have that. And anger says, you won't have that. But they're both looking outward, both looking toward that. And there's this last connection that we're given here, where James says, underneath the pride is really this idea where he says, friendship with the world in this idea of unfaithfulness to God. And what what does this mean? Is James saying that Christians should not be neighborly? Of course not. That would go against the two great commandments. By friendship, what he's talking about is when you adopt the mindset, the affections, the vision of the culture around you. That's basically your operating principle. And at that point, he uses Old Testament language. He said, we have committed spiritual adultery. We've been unfaithful to the one who is our desire. Unfaithful to the one who uh, labors to be the one we're hungering and thirsty for. The desire of our hearts. And when we go down that road, uh, you know, it's really a bottomless pit, isn't it? It never ends. It never ends. We find ourselves just a lifetime of anger and envy because the pride keeps driving us. If you are pursuing, wherever, not if, wherever you and I are pursuing the world, it is a bottomless pit. Whether it's career, outward image, whatever it would be, it's quicksand, stealing our desires. It's the sin, right? It's the sin that our first parents struggled with, envy. God gave them the world of desires, literally the world. And yet they found themselves at odds with him and his desires. Think about envy, one more word about it, because I I didn't say a lot about it, is envy basically says, I will be as joyful for you as much as I have what you have. I will be uh, glad for you and supportive of you as much, as long as I have what you have. But if you don't have what I, if I don't have what you have, I'm going to pull back emotionally from you. So, again, hard stuff to hear, but James is doing this. Why is he doing it? Because he's trying to steer us to something better. Let's move to the victory of desires. So, Back to Mr. Darcy for a last time. Uh, As the plot unfolds, and there's a lot to the plot, I can't go into it here. uh, Darcy experiences a transformation, part of which uh, happens as he is serving Elizabeth's family, which is in crisis. And so, uh, you know, the climax, probably the climax of the film, is. You know, they meet, she, she sees what he has done for her, and there he is, right? And uh, she says, thank you for helping. She says it better than that, uh, Jane Austen. <laughs> it's really hard to, you know, to summarize, those of you that love, right, this novel, to summarize Jane Austen, like from a guy, that you're probably like, you're probably like, you're really ruining this novel, you know? She said, thanks, he said, all right. Um, you know, no. I'm going to now read the actual words of Mr. Darcy. I'm going to give you the taste because I want you to see that he was transformed. You see it in his words. He says, if you will thank me, let it be for yourself alone. But your family owes me nothing. Much as I respect them, I believe I thought only of you. You are too generous to trifle with me. If your feelings are still what they were last April, tell me so at once. My affections and wishes are unchanged, but one word from you will silence me on this subject forever. Now, you really got to watch this. You know, you got to watch it, but I even get chills when I just read it because he's, it's really amazing. Um, but what happens, you noticed, is he now is a different person. He's a humble person, and he is submitting his request He is submitting his desires to her character and her judgment. And he basically says, whatever you say, I'm going to accept. It's not a bad picture of what James is leading you and I to do. He tells us two things. when he says, submitting. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Come near to God. He will come near to you. Submit means I'm going to arrange my affections around you. I'm going to arrange them under you. In this way, false prayer becomes true prayer. James talks about prayer earlier. And he says, what happens when your desires are warring and you're in that bad place? Two things happen with prayer. Either you don't pray because you know what you're going to ask for isn't good. God's not down with it. Or you ask for the wrong motives and you don't get it and you become cynical. That's what happens when you're at a war with desires and you're at that place. But he instead says that we can lay ourselves truthfully before God. And if you want an example of how to do this, this week, uh, go to Psalm 73 and pray through the psalm. Read it and maybe take your own desire that you struggle with. It will help lead you to be able to lay your heart before God in a very honest way. So submitting, but the other one is repenting. And, uh, you know, there's two ways James does this. And I was thinking about the the Westminster Confession of Faith, old theological um, thing that we uh, find very helpful and beneficial in the Presbyterian tradition. And it talks about uh, when you repent, on its chapter of repentance, it's very interesting. It, It engages our whole humanity. It says that you need to see sinful desires as filthy and odious. Have you come to the place where you see the, the bad desires? I'm not saying there are good desires where we're working. We're talking about the bad ones. Do you see the bad ones as ugly and really a stench to what's good to people? Do you see that? You know, as I said, the envy, the ugliness of lust. I already talked about the ugliness of envy, which basically says, "Hey, I'm only going to rejoice as far." But the ugliness of lust, for instance, is. Uh, it's really dehumanizations. It's this, I I do not want you to be a whole person because I only want you for this reason. You know, when it's sexual lust, it's basically, I just want you for your body and the experience I imagine that we're going to have, according to my mind. You know, I don't want you to be a whole person, but it can happen in other ways, right? I want you to be the friend that always agrees with me, Or I want you to be the guy that's the life of the party. Or I want you to be the person that always has the right, you know, the answers. We don't allow someone to be a whole person. So we have to begin to go, man, that's ugly. You know, but more than seeing it, we we have to feel it. The Westminster Confession talks about grieving and hating. That means this, we have to stop being okay with our envy. We have to stop being okay with our anger. How do you know you're doing that? Well, if you're not doing anything about it. Or basically you're trying to just handle it on your own. I mean, pivotal points for me in some of my growth really was the people in my family would not leave me alone about it. You know, they wouldn't leave me alone about it. And that's the only way you actually begin to grow. God doesn't want to leave you alone with your war of desires. He loves you, which leads me to the last part. There's grace there, but I I think it's possible to hear this chapter and just feel like this is typical Christianity. This is typical God of the Bible. He wants to crush me and leave me on the ground with my bad desires. And I hope you see that's not the case. First of all, He wants you to come near. And that word actually has worship connotations. I want you to come and engage in heart with me. But also, James flat out just says it. Our desires try to outfox us so God outgraces them. He says, but he gives more grace. (laughs) Whatever level, brother and sister, you're struggling with, and you feel discouraged. I want you to hear that. He gives more grace. He is determined to outgrace your sin. He leads us. God's kindness leads us to repentance. One more thing about the Westminster Confession. You know, uh, on its chapter on repentance, I love what they call it. Repentance unto life. And in it, it says repentance is a saving grace. And how does it happen? When we apprehend the mercy of God. This is what Paul says. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. And so the grace of God, it doesn't just lead us, but it lifts us up. This is what James says. Humble yourself and you will be lifted up. And how far will God lift it? Will he lift you from the ground to your knees? Will he lift you from your knees to your feet? Will he lift you just a little bit above everybody else so you can start judging again? No, he's going to do better than that. He's going to lift you all the way up to heaven. He's going to lift you to his throne, onto his breast into his heart, so that you might have him, that he might be your desire. G.K. Chesterton famously said, a man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. It's really true about anything. Person a that, person that knocks on the door of greed... Right? The person that knocks on the door of, I've got to be worldly famous and just revered in my field. Looking for God. Looking for intimacy. Looking for purpose. So God exalts us, why? So that our desire might begin to get fulfilled in him. Unless you and I gain our creator. The one who made us. Unless we gain the Father who loves us, unless we gain the Savior who died for us, unless we gain the Spirit who wants to dwell in us, we have nothing. We will continue on this treadmill. But when we taste that, you know, and maybe right now it feels like one of those just like gerbil water things, you know, just like that. Drop. a little bit of drop. I always think, how frustrating to have to drink that way, right? But for them, I guess it's drinking from a fire hose. It's a pretty big thing. Um, But the victory of your desire then leads you to a different place. And I'll, you know, I'll, I'll close with this quote. Indeed, you bear a life and a face and a story that is meant to reveal something about the very goodness of God. Your great calling, your great task is to come to taste what your heart desires, what you really delight in. And the ancient wisdom told us a long time ago what that was. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's what we're after. Let's pray. We're very grateful to you, Father, for your perseverance with us. I thank you for your personal love for each person here. I thank you that you know their stories, you know their disappointments, their broken hearts. Nothing has been lost on you. I pray that you would help us to open our hearts to you, that you might begin to do the work that we need. In Christ's name, amen.